0: Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, host of Trapping Inc., and I have today as a very special guest, a very longtime friend and business partner, TJ Schwanke. TJ, it's a pleasure to have you here, man.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> the first for me. I'm a podcast virgin. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I forgot
0: how much your your voice booms. Uh, the people will be wincing on that one. We, we'll get it. We'll get a set here. We'll get a set. All right. Well, first off, uh, I guess. It behooves me uh, to make a full uh, and clear declaration that we have been business partners
1: for 20 years. More than that, I think. We've, uh, More than that? Yeah, because Outdoor Quest has been going. This is our 20th season of it, and we started on doing the pools and sportsman shows quite a few years before that.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's the first sign of age, isn't it? Well, I'm younger than you, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It was, is, is it like three, four
0: months? Or uh, it's, still, it's, it's still months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was, uh, we started work, working in sportsman
1: shows and, and uh, it was a pool. We, we, we produced a pool. Um, well, and the cool thing was back then, you know, we were doing a lot of seminars at sportsman shows and what they had there for our demonstration pools was pretty lame. And, um, you know, got to know you a little bit and saw that I think you kind of had the same vision I had and, you know, Together we figured we could take on the world, and we developed a heck of a presentation stage and pool and fish and everything. It was it was awesome. Well, yeah, like how many gallons of water did the big pool it was hold? Was like five thousand gallons 5, of water. Five
0: thousand gallons, and we had it was a couple of feet uh, of water deep, and we, and we put these big bloody trout in it. Remember that one year? That one year we ended up with uh, Arctic char. Yes. Yeah, sh- <laughs> No, it's ancient history. Yeah, no, no, it
1: was it was a great, and and we still do it occasionally. But you know, back then we were doing a lot with that. We were going to a lot of shows, and it was a big, big feature. And um, I guess that's kind of what got us down this road is um, there wasn't a lot of people back then kind of treating what we do as a business. I mean, I remember going to Shot Show the very first year with the TV show, and there were forty TV shows there. Yeah, oh my god, oh my god, like how are we ever going to compete with forty TV shows? When I was there last year, there was eight hundred. Yeah, I know,
0: and and everybody with a blog or or a, a vlog or or everything out there is there. The uh, and do you remember? I mean, we were so far ahead of the curve. We were on another planet. We were doing a combination hunting and fishing show, and it had you and I and our our significant others, our
1: spouses. Oh yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was cutting edge at the time, and there there was no. Network in Canada, even at the time. There was nowhere to broadcast, so we did. No. So we started out our channel in the U.S. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I can remember that, and, and it was huge. The feedback
0: that we got, though, it alternated between, <laughs> you know, guys that talked to me, you know, guys being guys, right? You know, it was, it alternated between, you know, you're so lucky, you know, does she have a sister? Somebody I wish my wife would go hunt the other guy, saying, you know poor bugger you can't even escape her out in the
1: bush (laughs) yep exactly (laughs) but i mean times are changing so much with couples you know you guys doing the trapping Mm -hmm. us doing the hunting i mean it's become a real way for couples now and you know we get so much um you know correspondence at the show and things like that from couples oh we do too we'll 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 move on to that in a minute but first let's talk about you like how how did you get your start like was hunting and fishing in your DNA? or? Um, well, I mean, my dad, my grandpa, everyone were fishermen, but I had zero hunting influence in my life. Yeah. And I honestly believe people are born hunters sometimes. And I think I was just born a hunter. My biggest influence was Jack O'Connor reading Outdoor Life. And oh. that's why I still got a lot of love for the magazines, the television shows. I think they foster a lot of kids to take it up. I would have never, ever taken it up, you know, had I not been able to read about sheep hunting in Outdoor Life when I was just six or seven years old.
0: Oh, O'Rourke. And, and, and reading about, you know, death in the tall grass and all that kind of stuff. I it was I never believed that I would ever you know ever get to go hunt Africa.
1: Oh no, absolutely! And my parents were awesome; they, they fostered that love, but really didn't weren't able to give me a lot of help. I mean, you know, Mama drive me out to the goose field and leave me, but uh, you know, but I wasn't old enough to drive, right? So, but it was a big help. No, they were really good about it, but you know, they they couldn't offer any help, so they tried to get some of their friends to help. But just I really had zero hunting influence, and I learned everything the hard way.
0: Yeah, and you know what? But, I mean, God bless them. At least least they uh, encouraged you, and like you said, she dropped you you off. You couldn't do that today, drop
1: off a kid with a gun in a goose field. You couldn't do what I did back then either. I mean, I would take my 12-gauge and put it in my locker at school because I was going hunting after school, and... I don't know. Nobody ever got shot at my school.
0: No, no. <laughs> I, can, I can remember when uh, when we were going to go, we'd be going deer hunting after after school. And so I'd take my, my 308. Well, actually, that's a lie. It wasn't deer hunting. It was moose. I mean, we hardly ever hunted deer. We liked moose. So I'd be going moose hunting. And, and you'd pack your 308 off to, off to school. The the uh, bus driver was a, a hunter, and a fan. So I'd sit up there and we'd talk cartridges yeah. and that. Put it in my locker at, at school. And <laughs> after school, we all be go hunting. Yeah. Try not to give anyone a heart attack listening, but <laughs> 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 uh, they're kind of used to that, from, that, that from us. So you uh, you you grew in you you developed that passion that love for for hunting and fishing. I seen uh, I remember for your fiftieth birthday. Not spoiler alert, he's over fifty now. Right. <laughs> your mom gave me a bunch of pictures and that, uh, so I could do that uh, DVD for you. For your 50th birthday I seen you made an attempt at taxidermy yeah and you uh, yeah. moved on from that <laughs> I did I did I, I realized I was good at some things and I realized I wasn't good at some things so yeah I give you
1: a hard time about that but I mean what, what kid hasn't tried that right? oh no absolutely I mean I took I can't even remember the course it was the advanced taxidermy school of America or something and <laughs> took it online on the back and of a matchbook pretty, pretty much <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, I I think I had the
0: same thing in knife making. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had this saw blade, and there was a knife hidden in there somewhere. To this date, it's still hidden. It I, never, it's about, yeah. not, no, yeah. I never did. I never did get it out of there. <laughs> so, you uh, grew up, and you're actually a. Uh, you were born in and you come from Manitoba.
1: Yeah, I was born in Winnipeg. Uh, kind of worked up northern Manitoba for hydro for a while, and came to Alberta um, on holiday. Yeah, and looked at the mountains and said that's home so uh, the next year moved out here didn't have a job didn't have anything I just knew I wanted to live near the mountains and saw some bighorn sheep when we were out then and just still you know going back to O'Connor yeah uh, reading about his sheep hunting and everything and ah this is where I was going to live and I did that's cool you live in the shadow of the mountains in Cochrane Alberta yeah no absolutely and you know it's 45 minute drive I'm putting a backpack on and sheep hunting and even at my advanced age I can still get up those (laughs) mountains (laughs)
0: I tell you what, getting old ain't for wussies. No, it's sure not. It's better than the alternative, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, The dirt in the
0: face stuff, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) So uh, your partner in crime. Oh, Vanessa, she's awesome. So when I met Vanessa, she had never hunted, killed anything, like not a gopher, nothing. So she's like, I want to go hunting. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I really, like, you know... The guys want to go hunting and everything else. I'm like, I don't know. So I made it really hard for her. I'm like, okay, you're going to have to take your hunter safety. You're going to have to get your pal. There's a whole lot of, you know, hoops to jump through. Well, a week later, she jumped through all the hoops. Oh, yeah. Well, she's, she's, she's a, a
0: check mark in the box lady. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, and it, I do believe people are born hunters. And I've said that. And I think she's another one. Um, you know, she just never had that opportunity at all as a child. But, man, the second she got a taste of it. And, you know, she doesn't come hunting with me. I more often go hunting with her. Yeah, that's good. way, though. Oh, it's it's awesome. I wouldn't want it any other way. And I mean, it allows us to spend a lot of really good time together. And you know, we travel a lot of the world. And I don't know if we travel to hunt or we hunt to travel, but either way, we go a lot of places of the world together. And you know, experience it all. And it's it's truly amazing.
0: Oh, it is. It is. And when you've got a partner that does it, I know that it's it's funny because probably it's it's probably split like you know. Eighty percent, twenty percent, kind of thing. You, you're, you're so lucky. Eighty percent, twenty percent. You can't get away from her. And, and I, I've never. She's Sandy. Has always been my partner. Always. I mean, just my buddy, my partner, my wife, my lover. I mean, it, there's just there. There was no divide. Dividing up uh, the, the tasks. Right. Yeah. It was. It was all the one. One same person. So I can't imagine doing any of that. And and I, you know, you always believe that you have the most specialist in the world. So I don't. I don't.
1: Uh, I don't know whether you have what what, what we have, but I, I think you got it pretty good. Oh, no, I, I do. Awesome. And, I mean, it's everyone kind of sees, you know, the exciting parts of our lives when we're out hunting and we're doing this. But, you know, our typical night at home is, you know, sitting at the reloading bench. I mean, that's date night for us, right? <laughs> or, you know, we're in the edit suite picking music for a show or something. Like, that. like our entire lives revolve around, you know, either the TV show or something to do with hunting and not begrudgingly at all. I mean, it's it's what we do for passion. Everyone says, don't you guys ever go on a vacation? I'm like why? Like, we get to see the world and hunt at the same time. Why would I g- want to go sit and do nothing?
0: Well, we're, we're here in Edmonton and uh, we just set up today for the Boat and Sportsman Show. Uh, we f- uh, produced the uh, the kids' fishing pond. So, we got the water in, we got the pond put together with the water in, the fish come tomorrow and and uh, you walk around the sportsman show and there's invariably somebody, a retirement management fund or whatever there and, and they always <laughs> they always say to me, you know, what are you going to do when we retire? And I yeah. tell them that I hunt and fish and trap for a living now. What am I going to do? Yeah. And they they quit talking.
1: Yeah, they it's, don't want to talk to me. Oh, I know. And that's so what I keep telling people. You know, we're we're kind of getting to that age now where a lot of people around us are retiring. Yeah. And thinking about retiring, and that's the last thing on my mind. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, how many more years are you going to do with Quest? I'm like, I don't know. Hopefully, another twenty, twenty five. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't see my life without it.
0: Well, uh, you know, and talking about that
1: TV show now, when we started it, it, was a very different world than it is now. Oh my goodness, is it ever! Well, like I say, there was no network in Canada at all. No. No, and the, the, I, how many years, we aired originally uh,
0: six or seven years in the U.S. Yeah. Six or seven?
1: I uh, can't remember. Time all
0: kind of blends together at this yeah, time in life. Yeah, yeah. And about, at, the, at that point, had had the Wild TV started in Canada or not?
1: No, I think Wild TV didn't start. It was either three or four years after we first started airing in the U.S. So we, we aired our very first year in the U.S. in 2000. Okay. And, uh. Yeah. So we've been like, we've been producing. No, sorry. It was 1999 is when we, yeah. Uh, no, 2000. We started shooting in 1999 and our first year airing was in 2000. So we're in our 20th season of broadcast. Right. This year. And I remember, I remember going to Shot Show in 99 and coming home so pumped and talking to you. We need to start a TV show. Yeah. And you were like, what? <laughs> I'm like, just give me money. We need to start a TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember the challenges because we, we had to, we had to, to form a U.S. company and because nobody wanted to deal with us. We were across the border and yeah. we were in a foreign country. And I mean, we don't look at it that way. I mean, being Canadians, I mean, they're, they're just our southern neighbors and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. But uh, I remember the, the challenges. And the money! Oh my God, the money that it, it that it took to be on Outdoor Channel in those days.
1: Oh, it was huge. I mean, compared to nowadays, it was probably nothing. But you know, back then, it was a big chunk of change. And you know, if you lost one or two sponsors, you were into your mortgage kind of thing. Yeah, it, it was frightening. It was it was a big jump to do. And you know, people always say, "Oh, you're so lucky to have have a television show and everything else." And it was just hard work. And I mean, we both busted our butts to to make it work. And you know, we were just talking about that today. Like, you know, we turned a profit from day one and it's it's because we treated it as a business not because we were geniuses or anything else number one lesson it's a business
0: number two lesson is whatever you settle for your first price it's never going to get any better so if you're going to work for a free bow or whatever that's what you got is free bows (laughs) yeah
1: and that's what your value is going to be that's what people are going to look at you you know like if, if you go in there and ask for You know, product or whatever, okay, well, you're worth product. That's all. Yeah. You're 100% right. So and it depends what people want to get into. Like, I mean, there's a lot of great pro staff and stuff like that out there nowadays, and they're the backbone of this industry. But, you know, if you want to get into this as a business, you're 100% right. It needs to be a business. Absolutely. And I think that's why we kind of clicked as a partnership in the beginning is because we both had that same, you know, good work ethic, that good business drive. Um, We're both crappy salesmen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Oh, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can remember a lot of sleepless nights. But it was was never, there was, we were just going forward. Always going forward. A hundred percent. You know, it was, I don't
1: know, lack of brains, and not bright enough to lay down and die. I don't know. Well, I mean, we've both been self-employed since ever, right? Like, you know, I've, I had a job for two years of my life, I think. And then I've been self-employed ever since. And you've been the same. So I, I think neither one of us have ever been afraid to take a risk. And you know, it's nothing magic we did. It's not like we were handed the, you know, the TV show from our families or anything like nope. that. It's, nope. we built it up from the ground and you know, people getting into this, that's what it takes.
0: Do you remember though? Do you remember?
1: We were, we were just at the point,
0: uh, just as analog and digital, mm-hmm. we're, we're duking it out. And it was scary because uh, we, we always equate it to uh, the days of uh, VHS and beta, right? And, and we both chose the wrong the wrong format there. Because uh, Beta was clearly superior oh, to, yeah. to to the VH uh, format, but VH ended up winning out. So we were just at the point where, where we were going from linear to digital, but what was going to win out? So uh, we ended up working with uh, cameraman and we, and working with uh, uh, edit suite and all that. But we're, you know, if you were hunting, I was standing there beside the cameraman telling him what shot he needed because cameramen just do not understand. You know you. We, I can. Ne- I never forget. We we were uh, up hunting in uh, caribou up in the north, and I says, "She's going to shoot the big one." I was talk- talking to the cameraman. <laughs> but Sandy was going to shoot was the big one, which is what pretty one? obvious to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was five, six hundred caribou yeah. out there, but there was only one four hundred inch bull. You know, but but he didn't know. Yeah, you know, like I mean, so so you had to be there to to tell a cameraman what to do. The you had to sit in the edit suite to tell him. You know, this shot goes with this shot with this shot. You know, but. Basically, you know, when we we're paying them, we we're renting them for their equipment. So we, we didn't get into a, you know, seventy thousand dollar camera,
1: and we didn't get into what was what was that edit? Sweet like 250000 Two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars. I still remember there was this huge bank of hard drives. Yeah, it was sixteen gigs. Yeah. <laughs> Big my fans phone, on my, it. My phone lane <laughs> over there had thirty-two yeah. gi- or sixty-four gigs in it. Yeah. I still remember that. And we yeah. were just like, wow. Each one of those was four
0: gigs. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you remember? Do you remember the the soundboard was was twice the size of this of this coffee table? You know, you slide this up. Oh yeah, it's way better. Yeah, yeah like I knew.
1: <laughs> yeah. But in a lot of ways, I mean, the digital like it was a real cusp where we got in. But I'm glad we got in right then because it allowed us to quickly learn the industry, and I'm glad we learned on tape, because I still think tape editors are way better editors than those who learn digital, because you never had to learn what actual B-roll was. You know, kids nowadays talk about, oh, i got to shoot some B-roll, but they have no idea what it was, that you had to have a, another tape, number B, to put over both sides of number A where you made the edit. Yeah. <laughs> and so you became a very good editor, and, you know, we're both students of everything we do, and like you say, we are watching him push buttons, but we were telling him what the cuts were yep. and everything else, so yep. it was pretty easy once the digital world came along to learn how to push the buttons and we, and the investment was so much smaller oh my goodness yes so
0: the the, the thing that immediately went out was uh, mini mini digital tape mm-hmm. very briefly there was a large shell digital but then it went to the mini digital and, and uh, we progressed through there and through various edit suites and now it's it's so reasonable to get into
1: oh it, it really is and I, I think that's why there's this, such a proliferation of TV shows um, unfortunately not everyone's learned this the craft. That's right. You know, they can buy the technology, but they still haven't learned the craft.
0: Well, I can remember
1: a guy comes into me and
0: he's got a big deer. And he even brings the, you know, he brings the tape that he wants wants me to look at. It was tape back then. And he's got this big white tailed deer. And so I said, okay. So we cue it up in the edit suite and I'm watching it. And you watch this deer for an hour and 40 minutes as it works its way across the field. All of a sudden, boom, the deer falls down. Now, for the very first time, we meet the hunter as we watch his butt go running out towards the deer, and he's carrying on. I says, well, how do I do anything with that? Yeah. I said, you don't have a single cutaway here, how that deer got across the field, other than an hour and 42 minutes of watching it walk. I don't know who you are until you go running out there or anything. You know, try and explain all those pieces that he needed, and he was just crestfallen. And I, I would have dearly loved to use the, the footage, because mm-hmm. it was a nice big deer. Yeah, But they're just... It's, they don't understand, you know, today, so many people, there's so many jump cuts. And, and I think that's part of, uh,
1: of the internet. You for, know. Oh, definitely. For sure. I mean, and, you know, editing on phones, editing right on cameras and things is pretty common nowadays, right? So yeah. it d- you don't have a lot of options, but, it, and I think, you know, just getting back to the cameraman thing, I think that's why I really like hunting so much with Vanessa. Like, we don't have a cameraman, you know, we, like we do hire a couple times a year when we need some stuff done, yeah. but for the most part, it's just her and I, and it's just you and Sandy. Yep. And, you know, I don't have to say a word to her. Like she knows which animal I'm going to shoot and, yeah. you know, I don't have to worry. And, um, I don't have to smell some guy's socks at night, you know, in my <laughs> room and stuff. So, um, <laughs> But it's nice, like it. I, I like the, our. Like okay, okay. On, on
0: tape here, we're saying that Vanessa smells better than. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how, how many hotel rooms
1: have, have we have we shared? That might have been where that was coming from. <laughs> but no, it, it's great, and people are always shocked when we show up at a shoot, and they're like, "Where's your camera crew?" We're like, "Well, we're here." Like, yeah, she films, I hunt. I, you know, she hunts, I film, and it's such a good union. And there's just. You know there's so much left unsaid that it just happens and you have to have that
0: that mix that magic in order for it to work oh my god yeah you ca- i cannot imagine well i mean you you watch any of the the big productions and that's the same cameraman because the cameraman eventually becomes you know becomes well known or becomes a star yeah. star in their own right but you have to have that that magic going on between the the, the person on on camera and the cameramen, they have to understand. They have to be able to communicate without communicating, right? Exactly. Um, and it's and it's so we're so lucky that it that it's our our spouses, you know.
1: Like. Oh, totally. And I mean, you know, she's involved in the editing, picking music, and you know all that stuff as well. So I mean, it it makes it a lot more enjoyable. But the finished project is a real, you know, it's a team effort. I noticed your shirts are getting better too. She's picking them too, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she does. <laughs> I've got lunch on this one. She'll be happy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we just ate at our favorite uh uh Vietnamese place. We did. That we was, did. It was good lunch. I changed my shirt after it, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, back when we started,
1: it was we were we were North American.
0: It was all North American.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that was the market at the time and truthfully, I I'd never really thought about hunting overseas and Really probably didn't think I could afford it. And I think as we go through life as hunters, you know, our our priorities change and they talk about the five stages of hunting, you know, and I I honestly believe we do progress through those stages. I don't think you're always in one stage. I think, you know, you you can be in stage five and stage one and stage three at the same time, but there is a definite progression of what you take away from the hunts. Do you know, do you know what the five stages are? I'm going (laughs) to put you on on the spot. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's the first one is just killing. Yeah. Like, you just want to kill something, and then you want to limit out. Yeah. And then there's another one. Collector? Yeah, collector, and then um, method, and then finally experience. Right. Yeah, thanks for helping me on the one there. <laughs> Yeah. That's why we're a good team. Because I've, I've, I've been in a lot, of, a lot of camps where the collector was. <laughs> you know, and, it, and a lot of people, unfortunately, seem to end at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, and we travel a lot to hunt. and It was so funny. We went to um, the Grand Slam OVA show last year and which is kind of the ultimate collector show and not criticizing anyone who likes to go out and get slams and things like that i'm just not that guy right uh, i just i hunt for a lot of different reasons but every booth you walked up to it was like so what do you need yeah i'm like a good experience yeah. you know, <laughs> but it was kind of the wrong answer right like so it was it was kind of funny but you know thank god we have those people too it, it kind of drives our industry and i'm the last one in the world to ever judge anyone of why they hunt as long as they're doing it ethically, legally kind of thing. But, absolutely, um, you know, for me, it's, I just really like the adventure, um, you know, just seeing the new places, the new cultures. And I guess that comes with being an old guy too, right? Like there's not much I haven't seen done in Alberta 54 times.
0: Well, part of it though, is, is that the world, the world kind of moved on and, and it, and it became so with, more people coming to Alberta and that you, you there just wasn't as much opportunity we could no longer get enough tags
1: well uh, yeah you're 100% right like there's not even a, a general moose tag for a rifle hunter in the province anymore no so that's the point we're at now so I mean that's another really valid point and I love to hunt oh I'm not going to quit hunting just because I can't get tags here or so I mean I still I love hunting Alberta it's still my favorite place to hunt and you know the bulk of September through November were spent in Alberta but you're right i I don't get enough opportunity here anymore. I draw a mule deer tag every nine years. I draw a moose tag yeah. every seven or eight years. So yeah, exactly. You know, Antelope's probably going to be 20 years. I mean, you can kill
0: lots and lots of bear, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, what, a couple years ago, um, Sandy and I uh, took on Trapping Ink full-time. Yep. And you guys took on uh, Outdoor Quest full-time. Yeah. And now you've, you've rebranded a little bit, made it your own. What, what, what would you say the focus of, of your,
1: your show is? I think more the adventure of the hunt. Um, you know, the kill is—I wouldn't say it's secondary. It's always going to be part of the hunt. We hunt ultimately to kill, and it really bothers me when people say, "Oh, the kill isn't important." You know what? It is. That's what—that's what defines the hunt. Like, Absolutely. if you're not going to kill, you're not hunting. But it's not. The most important thing. It's it's getting to the hunt, it's experiencing everything. And I think that's why we become such travel bugs. It's it's so cool going to Africa and being like six years old again. You know, what's that bug? What's that animal?
0: (laughs) I love that, right? And it's (laughs) You sound like you've traveled with me. With me it's vines. (laughs) What vine is that? What what drives my wife crazy, drives everybody else around me crazy too. But I don't know what I got. This thing about vines. We were we were turkey hunting in in Pennsylvania and they have grape. Wild grape uh, vines mm-hmm. everywhere, right? And lots of places they're, they're, they're very substantial. They'd be hanging off a big oak tree or whatever, and and they'd swing out off them over the hillside. that you know, Pennsylvania is fairly hilly and rocky. That's just fascinating. So I wonder what all these vines were. tell the guy says, "I don't know, it's a vine." Okay. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> our first time in Africa, like you know, you'd heard all the stories. Everything's poisonous there. So yeah. every bug we see is that poisonous? Is that poisonous? And finally, the guy was like, "Probably." <laughs> <laughs> Just shut up and leave me alone. Exactly. Don't, don't touch it. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't pet it. Yeah. We're okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I, I really enjoy, um, you know, I, we are older, so we're, we're not, you know, the young bucks that we used to be. So I think with that comes a little bit more um, uh, sedation maybe, but... But you, you enjoy things a little bit more, and it doesn't have to be the pace that
1: it was before. Oh, you stop and smell the roses for sure. Like when we were in Africa last year, um, this ranch we were on, he had um, 70 sites on there with Bushman paintings on them. And some of these paintings were 20,000 years old. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, older, like way older than the pyramids even.
0: Like Oh, and here's, here's a crazy tangent altogether. When they decided that they wanted to... to reduce the number of animals that were in uh, South Africa. So they wanted to determine what was indigenous for certain areas, and that there was only going to be indigenous animals in the area. They actually went by the cave paintings. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and so if they could find a cave painting anywhere that, that showed, you know, the, the, the blue diker or whatever on it, well, then that was an indigenous
1: yep. animal. Yeah, and it was cool. Like, some of these paintings were... I don't know, probably 40, 50 feet long. And then some of them were in very small caves. Some of them were big caves. And, you know, I was, we spent a whole day just caving and looking at these paintings and kind of forgot about hunting for a day. Like, to me, that was just so precious. Like, who has seen 20,000-year-old paintings in their
0: life? I know. And they have so much of it. And you were allowed to walk in, and you could have touched it, I imagine, if you wanted to. You
1: know, like. Like, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't cordoned off. It wasn't, you know, there was no, like, most people probably didn't know about it. I think they were documented, but there was no visitor site
0: there or anything. So, you, uh, you focus on, on the travel, the adventure hunting. Uh, what are the biggest challenges in that?
1: I think not being an expert. Yeah. And, and I always say, and, and this is when people go on their first hunt abroad, like whether it's Africa, New Zealand, whatever, that's the time in their life when they're the biggest expert. And after you've been there four or five, and like we're just going on our 10th trip to Africa, and I realize now like how little I know. And I think that comes back to just stopping and smelling the rose. We always want to make everything North American. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we should manage animals in Africa like we do in North America. And, you know, we should hunt this way. And once you stop doing that and stop being an expert, because, I mean, we're all, we're good hunters here. Like, I'm a good hunter in North America. I'm a rank rookie in Africa, even after 10 trips. So I think that's what, probably one of the biggest challenges for people going abroad is to just kind of forget everything that you think you know, because you don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. And, And just take it in.
0: Oh, absolutely. The logistics were, you know, they're they're not as as challenging as everybody believes. Uh, You know, you you can hunt with their guns or hunt with your own guns. Uh, So... Exports imports, that it's actually pretty simple in today's world.
1: Oh, it really is, and I think everybody gets you know freaked out about that. I mean, I remember reading somebody's post the other day; they were going to Africa, and somebody asked them if they were taking their own gun, and they were like, "Oh no, I'd have to start that paperwork process a year in advance if I was going to do that." I'm like, "No, you could do it like two weeks out." You know, it's you say it's not that hard, and and there's lots of people to give you good advice on that nowadays. It's they've made it quite simple for stripped Africa. Number one, biggest surprise. That it wasn't all jungle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I was like,
1: That's a farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was the same, like and we had a Namibia for the first time, which is a very arid part of Africa. Yeah. And it was like, There's a lot of desert in this jungle <laughs> But I think all our lives we, you know, Tarzan of the jungle, right? Yeah, so well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was I was waiting for where is the jungle, you know? And
0: finally you get over over against the uh, the the coast and that on the Indian ocean and oh, there's
1: jungle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the second one for me is the will to live of the animals there. And I think that just comes to me so heavily predated on, Um, you know, everyone says, oh, African animals are so hard to kill. They're not hard to kill at all. You know, they have the same lungs, the same heart, everything ours do. They're easy to kill if you put the bullet in the right spot. But I'll tell you what, if you put it in the wrong spot, then they become really challenging to find because, you know, they've just got this survival instinct that our animals don't seem to have. I know,
0: when we hunted bushbuck. and I mean, a little bushbuck's just a little critter. Um, I don't know. Really small. I've missed one, so I know <laughs> how small they are. <laughs> Not that small. <laughs> Were you wearing your glasses that day? <laughs> I don't know, what, 120 pounds? Oh, and a big one, I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, 110 maybe. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, anybody that hunts them seriously, I mean, everybody over there, all, every pH has one or 12 Jack Russells, right? And uh, every one of them has a, a gouge or a scar or, or a rip in it from a from a bushbuck.
1: Oh, and there's lots of hunters that have gouges and scrapes in them, too, from bushbucks. They're incredibly, like, violent little
0: animals. And they're a lot like whitetail in, in, in the ways that, you know, they go where they want to. Uh, um, fences don't hold them or any of, the, yeah. any of that kind of stuff. Uh, they're... You hunt them usually on those shoulder, like they like to get out in the morning in the in that shoulder period where when the sun is first starting to get warm, and then towards evening, you know that kind of stuff. I've I found a lot of similarities that way. Yeah, but they say that was the biggest thing that our, our was going on and on and on about was make sure you killed it because he didn't want to go have to go in after it, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking like really. I mean, you know, it's a little critter like yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, you notice that one dog has got its hip stitched back on, and
1: yeah. another guy's got a rip down. His, and it's all from, from bushbuck. Yeah. And I think the cool thing is when you go to Africa, you learn so much. And everyone goes like, why do you keep going back? And I'm going, because we discover something new every time. You know, I think most people's vision of Africa is you drive into a 5,000-acre pen and hunt animals that no. aren't very afraid. Um, no. Even in South Africa, there is so much free-range hunting. Um, we're going back this year. We're hunting sheep in 8,000-foot mountains. I think you're going to the, one of the same places. Yes. Yep. Um, so who thinks there's 8,000-foot mountains in Africa to start with? I mean, it gets minus 20 <laughs> in the wintertime there, and we're going in the winter. We're <laughs> going to be spike camping up in the mountains, you know, hunting sheep. They're all free range. Um, you know, we've, we ran Caracal, which is very much like the lynx here. Yep. We ran them with hounds there. Um, you know, we did night hunting with infrared there. We've done bird hunting there. Every time we go, we were just talking to somebody at the Africa show um, a couple weeks ago. They've got 10 to 14 pound largemouth bass in a lake there. Yeah, that they routinely catch, and nobody's yeah. fishing for them. Well, it's
0: funny because we have a lot of a lot of fans that, uh, from Africa, that, that South Africa, that, that follow us, and whenever we post pictures of you know Sandy catches another 25 pound pike or whatever, and then right away all these people are, and they are huge on fly fishing there. Yeah. And they want to
1: catch these pike on flies, right? Yeah, yeah no, it's it's pretty cool, and I, I think it's just discovering all those different things and, and taking advantage of those is what really drives me to keep going back. You know, I've been there, killed the Kudu, the Gemsbach, Eland, you know, things... Everybody hunts the first time they go. Yeah. But it's just finding all these little niche things. And I think that's what we really try to feature in the TV show is all these niche things you can do that kind of make it way different than what everyone else is doing when they go over there. It,
0: and, I mean, TV is pretty restraining, like, as far as what how much you can show in that. But uh, to, to build it, I, there are days over there when I've been up on the Cap Rock and, and looking down through a, a river valley and we're, we're hunting Niala or or whatever – And that sun comes up. And I I just wish I could bottle that and and release it in the room and let you know what that feeling is like.
1: Yeah. And people are so under the impression it's so expensive to hunt overseas. In places like Africa, there isn't a better deal in the world. I mean, you know, if you go to Mexico two years in a row, you can go to Africa and probably have a 10-game, you know, 10-animal safari with your spouse. Yeah. Like, it is super affordable. And you will never experience that level of service in your life anywhere else in the world. So, you've also discovered, uh, Europe. Oh my God. Um, Europe is my passion right now. And here's another thing about thinking you always know everything about somewhere else in the world. Oh, everywhere in Europe's a fenced estate, right? Yeah. Fenced hunting is actually legal in most of Eastern Europe. I, I was mean. astounded when we, we hunted Ibex in Spain and they wanted
0: us to go hunt, um, what? Roe deer? Roe yeah. Yeah. Roe, roe deer in France. And I was like,
1: you can hunt in France? Yeah. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. So we've been really concentrating on Eastern Europe here the last couple of years, Poland, Romania, places like that. Um, it's still the wild West. Like, I mean, hunting, hunting is a big tradition there. Like hunting is big there, but foreign hunters coming to hunt there is so new. I mean, you take Romania. I mean, Ceausescu was a the dictator there until 89. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a young, young country. So we hunted a place there called the Plains of Sacador. And the Plains of Socador, it's, it's kind of a big V shape. It's about 10 kilometers on the sides and about 10 kilometers at the bottom. And it kind of goes up into all this timber. So for most of the years, there's maybe, th- or most of the year, there's probably like three or 400 fallow deer on these plains. Right. When the rut comes, there's three to 4,000 fallow deer move onto these plains to rut for about a month and a half, and then they all leave again. And I remember the first morning, and if, if you've ever hunted fallow deer before, you know how vocal they are, how yeah. aggressive they fight yeah. and everything. So we climb up into this high seat just to start getting some video, and As the sun's starting to come up, it's just croak, 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 crash, crash, crash. And it was just like the curtain lifting on this play. And it was just all of a sudden, it was a sea of bucks. And there was a lot of the bucks that moved in yet, but the does hadn't showed up in the big numbers yet. So there was all this fighting and interaction. It was probably one of the most amazing mornings I've ever had in my life as a hunter. They're they're an amazing animal. They're they're roughly a little bigger than a whitetail probably smaller actually smaller yeah I'd put them in that 150 to you know 175 pound range like probably like a doe white tail like okay, a big well, buck
0: yeah <laughs> okay I the ones we hunted in Africa were a little bigger body than that but uh but they the, the way they call is amazing yeah. they sound
1: for the world like a bullfrog oh they totally do and yeah. and they're just nonstop for like, and there was kind of those shoulder hours, like it always is. But the yeah. t- two hours as the sun was coming up, it w- was almost deafening, and you know you, things never capture on the camera as good as you think no. they do when you're there. This sound was—I had my hair was standing up on my arms <laughs> hearing this sound when we were editing it. It was that good. Yeah, well, I mean, you were you're reliving it again too, right? Oh, totally. I mean, totally,
0: totally right back into it. I know that. I, I've I've had that happen, uh, you know, in the edit suite many times too. You were saying, though, that the plains of
1: Sacador, that only royalty had ever hunted them until very recently. Like for 500 years, it was probably the exclusive hunting grounds of kings. And then Ceausescu had his own. There's still the Ceausescu stand, like high seat there. Like wow. It was named after him. That was where he hunted. So what, what is their traditional way of hunting there then? Um, well, a lot of it was high seat hunting over we there. So it, it's basically like an, a tree stand, but it's, it's uh, man-made. Right. Um, so we, the one morning we actually went right out. There was kind of a big drainage ditch, went almost right out in the middle of the plains. So we crawled out there in the dark and kind of as the sun came up, we were like literally surrounded by deer. Wow. And, uh, it was amazing. And I ended up shooting a really big buck um, that day. They actually... Um, They charge by the size of the deer you shoot there, and what they do is they weigh the antlers. They weigh them? Yeah. So, like, (laughs) anything over 4 kilograms would be like a 190 whitetail, right? Yes. And I got one that was over 4 kilograms. Uh Um, The the price from 3.9 to 4 kilograms was (laughs) quite substantial as well, but... (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? You're going to be buried with it? I mean... (laughs) I know. And and in, in the scheme of things, like hunting... In Eastern Europe is such good value right now. Um, I know I was telling you earlier when the first time I went over I've got a buddy who books Eastern Europe, like he's just nuts about it. And he said, let's go to Poland and hunt roe deer. It's $1,500. I'm like, okay, like what's the catch with this? Right? Like there's, yeah. you he goes, no, it's like three days that includes one deer. If you want to shoot more deer, it's just a small additional charge. I'm like, there's gotta be a catch. He goes, no, none. So I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. So went over there and just fell in love with the place. And it was everything he promised and more. And your accommodations, I understand, were pretty nice, too. Well, it was only a summer palace, but, you know. It, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but here's the really cool thing, too. So, we're in Poland, and Poland has one of the most tortured histories of any country in Eastern Europe. I mean, there were 6 million people murdered there, you know, by the Nazis, just... Most of them because they were smart people. Yeah. Um, You know they killed the doctors. They killed the um, The teachers. Lawyers or teachers. Yeah. They wanted lawyers. We understand. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the palace we were in had been taken over by the Nazis and was a field hospital. And then when the Russians came in, the Russians took it over and made it the command center. So and this was only in the forties. I mean, this is not old history. Yeah. You were alive back then. (laughs) 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 Uh, but that kind of stuff you just like you know you have to experience it and and unless you go hunting i don't think you get to experience a lot of that stuff you really get thrown into culture when you hunt you know you go as a tourist you get thrown into the tourist areas you go as a hunter you just get fired right into the middle of their culture you know you're having coffee and tea with their with their parents you're having dinner with their brother one night that's the coolest thing to me oh i know We, we uh
0: uh, haven't hunted Europe very much, but we did do uh, uh, Ibex in Spain. And it was just the most remarkable thing. The culture, like I mean, you were boom, right into the culture. Suddenly you're eating at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I mean, if you're showing up at the restaurant at 10 o'clock at night for, for, for supper, and they're looking at you like, what? why so early? That's you like know? the 4 <laughs> o'clock blue play yeah, special yeah, yeah. in Florida, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember
1: going up the stairs at one, one castle in, in Spain. And the stone stairs were dipped out like this from people walking on them. Yeah, how many people walked on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of puts it all in perspective. But um, yeah, know it's just for me. It's just I love that. I just I love feeling young. I mean, it's because I'm old, but um, <laughs> you know, not knowing things really makes you feel young again. Well, I I like I find it, find it amazing going to different
0: places. You know, Africa, New Zealand, and that that kind of stuff, and and seeing how they hunt. Mm-hmm. You know. We often think that here in North America that we invented hunting, yeah. and that nobody does it as well as we do. But I, uh, the the guide that we had uh, for the ibex hunt in Spain. Now, the, the fellow we were, that, that owned the company and all that spoke English very very well, but he wasn't uh, of a, a build or a stature that could climb up the mountains to hunt with us. So <laughs> we're a little portly, was he? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, very portly. Uh, so. The, the guy and i it was just the most the the biggest joke ever me trying to express myself in spanish and him and, and he had less english than i had spanish so it was it was hilarious but to watch him and and what was important in that i mean it was it was a big a big learning because i was keying on him so hard because i i couldn't talk to him so i had to watch what he was doing in that and watching what was important
1: that's that's a, a big learning curve well, and I remember when I shot my waterbuck in South Africa, it was probably one of the biggest epiphanies for me, like how dumb I was as a hunter. Um, we we saw a herd of waterbuck and there was one really good um, bull in it. And so they all took off. So we tracked him through the sand for, I don't know, two or three hours and about, and there was tracks and you know what it's like in Africa in the yeah. sand, there's tracks everywhere and they look like holes. There's no, tr- there's no distinct track nope. from an animal. Nope. So about two and a half hours in the, the tracker and the pH start talking he goes, we got to go back about a hundred yards. He says, I think that bull broke off with three cows. (laughs) And so at this point, Vanessa and I are like, okay, they're messing with the tourists. We're going to end up back at the truck. And it was a good hunt. So we get back and he goes, yeah, they broke off here. And like, to me, it's all holes in the sand. So we followed it. And long story short, I ended up shooting this magnificent water buck. It was the one we'd seen. So I asked him to explain to me, how did you tell those tracks? So he starts telling me, well, see how the shadow casts on this and the moisture is different here. And I was just like, no. There was like someone trying to explain nuclear physics to me at that point, and I was just, like, "You keep tracking. I'll, I'll just keep walking behind you." At that point, but I mean, I have become a better tracker over the years, and, and I have learned a lot, and it's it's a lot of skills that apply here as well. But it will never be on the scale of those guys. No, no, and the best trackers that I've ever dealt with in in Africa,
0: and that didn't I couldn't have a conversation with. Yeah, you know, like uh, they would they would be the you know the tracker or the skinner from from wherever you were hunting, and they're remarkable people. They, they understand more things about those animals and the animals' behavior, just like you and I breathe. I well, mean, it, it's that natural to them.
1: Yeah, like the Bushmen are probably the most legendary trackers of all of Africa. And, you know, they're the same people that painted those paintings 20,000 years ago yeah. of them killing the island, right? So they've got that 20,000, 30,000-year history of, of tracking things in the sand and killing with a spear. So, yeah, yeah they're going to be good at it. It's just amazing. Ah. It's, it's just amazing. So what's next? Um, so we're going to go to Africa for a month this year. Um, we're going to do some different stuff over there. Uh, going to just sit back and enjoy, but like, we're going to, we're taking some new people over who've never been. So that's always exciting. Kind of seeing it through their eyes for the first time. Um, we've got a hunt booked in England. And for me, I've always wanted to hunt muntjac and Chinese water deer. And for people that don't have a clue what they are, muntjac are about this tall, but they're like a genetic throwback to an old, old time when deer still had fangs. So the muntjac actually have fangs, but also have little tiny antlers. And the Chinese water deer just have fangs. And they're not native to England, but they run free range and wild there. Both the muntjac and the water deer? Yeah. Okay, are both not native. Not So I think the muntjac is from, like, um, Nepal, India, places like that. And then the Chinese water deer would be from China. Right. But at some point, the British had brought them over. Like, they love to populate the world with all different animals. That's how everything ended up in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So And these things... Apparently they breed two or three times a year and like the muntjac are always in rut. There's no rutting season for them. Really? So they're really prolific. um, And hunting them is really critical to their management. So, and I don't know why, I've just been fascinated by this genetic throwback. Like these are, these are dinosaur deer, right? Yeah. And just to go hunt something like that to me is so cool. So of course a buddy of mine was over there about uh, a month ago and he got back and was just going on with the stories. So I got a hold of the outfitter he was with and we're going next year. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we'll do lots of hunting in Alberta. I mean, I still have a passion for the mountains. Um, I still love hunting sheep and you know, we do a lot of backpacking in the mountains still. I just bought a new pack today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I hope, you know, that's something I can do for another 10 years. I mean, you know, God willing kind of thing, the body hangs in there and uh, I still, it's still my, my biggest passion absolutely uh, that that connection i think keeps you young
0: yeah you know uh being able to have that to look forward to every day i'm i'm pushing up on 60 i'll be, I'll be 60 this year i think the day what? after we get back from africa well you're an old guy holy yeah 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 you're you're 59 and three quarters <laughs> <laughs> a quarter <laughs> but you know it, it's i i look at people you know we we just spent the last Last weekend, we were at the Wild Sheep Show here in Alberta. And I'm talking to guys, and this one guy is saying, oh, he's getting too old for that. And I asked him, how old are you? And he said, well, he was 57. He was he was too old to hunt sheep anymore. I was like, I didn't say nothing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, so maybe he's the bright one. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but, you know, if I didn't hunt sheep, I'd be like that Portland guy in Spain you were talking about, yeah. right? That couldn't, I mean, that's what literally keeps me in shape and keeps me working all the time is that drive that I, I really want to hunt sheep. I'm kind of looking at maybe doing a blue sheep hunt in Nepal here in the next year or two. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I've got a few things that I still want to do, and you know, they're still really physical hunts. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot more. Um, I, I'm taking a much slower pace at it than than I have. I mean, there was a time, I mean, when we were at our peak, probably uh, ten years ago in the show, uh, we had a couple years there where we were two or three hunts per per half hour.
1: That's a lot of animals. Oh yeah. That's yeah. a lot of animals. And when the four of us were doing it, it was, it was easier because we had four of us hunting. But now it's just Vanessa and I trying to get 13 shows filled. Um, that's that's the thing that people don't understand. What 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 What's your number one
0: piece of advice? Somebody comes up to you and, want, and wants to uh, uh, have a TV show.
1: Uh, get a good job first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I say that in jest, but I also mean it seriously. It's not. You can't decide I want to have a TV show tomorrow. Um, you know, you and I both had good jobs. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we had flexible jobs that made us enough money that gave us time to slowly kind of morph into this business. Um, you just can't decide you're going to do it. I see someone, we've seen so many one or two year wonders show yep. up, you know, I'm going to do a TV show. So, you know, of course their first year is awesome. They've had three or four years to shoot it. Yeah. They, and they don't understand that. Yeah. So second year comes along and it's like, holy man, I need a minimum of 13 hunts. Yep. Uh, that's somebody. you know, 13 episodes makes up a, a series. Yep. So, now I need a minimum thirteen animals, and you know it could be a couple more if a couple. Of those are. You try and do that in Alberta. Like we get so many people saying, "Jesus, I wish you did more stuff in North America." And I like, yeah, I wish we did too, but you know yeah. we only get so many tags, and we're not one hundred percent successful. We're hunting wild animals like everybody else. On a good year, you know, we'll kill six or eight animals in North America. That's still only half the shows. Yeah, we need. So yeah. it's just kind of people need to open their minds a little bit. So either bring in a lot of pro staff and guys hunting for the TV show, or, you know, you have to travel.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and, and as far as, as the business side of it all goes, is, is that you have to make sure that you have a value. And that value
1: is uh, to your sponsor. Oh, absolutely. And sponsors drive this industry. And, you know, and I, I uh, something's irritate me. And I, I promised you I wouldn't get off on an <laughs> irritation tangent, but I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> here we go so I hate when people like you know somebody will ask a question online and, about a scope or something and I'll you know I'll tell them because it's what I use I know it I'm yep. not talking about it because it's my sponsor it's because what I use every day I'm intimately familiar with it better. oh you're just talking about this because you're a sponsor no I'm not and we've been pretty true to that even from the Absolutely. day we started um, pretty much every sponsor that I have on the TV show right now is a product I used for a year or two before I agreed to bring them on as a sponsor. If it's not a product I believed in, and maybe that's a luxury for me, I don't know, but I would not ever have a product as a sponsor that I didn't believe 100% in. And I don't have those products because they pay me money. I have products because I believe in that product, I use that product, and I endorse that product. And yes, the money does help pay the bills, but that's not the first criteria in choosing a sponsor. A lot of people don't
0: understand that. And I, I'm, I'm like this. Like I mean, we've done it enough We're doing it for 20 years. I can't take the time to pretend. No. And that's what it would amount to, you know. If I'm wearing a pair of boots or, or using a, a scope or, or whatever, it has to be the real deal because I'm going to use it every day, every day, every day. When when you're doing a, a sheep hunt or whatever, it isn't like you can just pretend what you're using because you you the TV product that, that comes out of the sheep hunt you might have a dozen days there um over three trips or whatever and you know different clothing different different all that that kind of stuff it has to be the same
1: thing in your hand all the time right oh totally you, you can't yeah. pretend no you can't pretend but you also rely on it
0: absolutely rely on it. i you know like the 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 argo that that, that we use in trapping the, the the gear that we use in trapping and on on the show that stuff is, is just every day for me i don't even We've had offers from stuff that I didn't think was uh, w- would fill the bill, and I don't even want to try because I know that this gets the job done. Well, whether I mean, I'm sponsored
1: by it or not, or yeah. Not. Well, I know when you and I were doing the show, like we turned people down who wanted to give us money, yeah, just because we didn't believe in the product, and um, you know when we were over in New Zealand a couple of years ago, we were, ended up meeting a the manufacturer of some really good New Zealand clothing over there. And, you know, just a one guy operation kind of, I mean, he's got a lot of employees, but like, he's still the owner. Like it's not a big public company right. or anything. And, um, you know, started going through their products and going, Oh my God, like there's so much in North America that we don't know about clothing to some degree because, you know, they get 300 inches of rain in places over there. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're going to know what <laughs> rain So we started working with them a little bit too and just, wow, like there's so much stuff out there. And, you know, we used their products for, I think, three years before. Like we had no, and then they decided they were going to maybe move over to North America. So then we kind of became a a good choice for them to work with. But it was just when you find good stuff, yep, you appreciate it. And I know, you know, we've lost a couple sponsors over the years for different reasons. They went different directions or something like that. And it always hurts me because I don't know how I'm going to replace it. Well, like, like, I loved it. <laughs>
0: that that that's just it. You don't want to replace exactly. it you know, exactly like, because you're you're so familiar with it. And you're 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 so used to it. You don't want to learn something else. there's there's been a couple that you just walk away and that 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 segment just stays open because you don't want to. Yeah, I'll t- I'll just keep using.
1: I'll yeah. just keep using it.
0: Yeah, you using it even though though you're no longer sponsored by it. Yeah. Well, bud. It has been a pleasure. It's always a good time.
1: Oh, I, well, and I was going to say, speaking of good times, we've never been thrown out of a bar or hotel for a fight, <laughs> but we have maybe been thrown out of one or two for laughing too hard a couple <laughs> times, <laughs> if you recall. <laughs> what was it? Drift Pile? No. What, what was it? What was the place called?
0: Uh, she sh- cut us off after one beer. Yeah, because we were laughing too much. She thought we were just drunk as could be, and it was
1: like, no, ma'am, it's just yeah, us. We've <laughs> had hotel security show up a couple times to shut the party down, and... <laughs> <laughs> it was just us talking about the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to thank you for having me here. It's been awesome, and uh, yeah, it's
0: our our, our pleasure. It, it's been a, a long time coming. We've uh, uh, well, we just started this this podcast so recently, but it's it's great to be able to talk to everybody. You know, we there's so many different facets, not even just of the outdoors, just just of, of life that we want to talk with people. But I enjoy having these conversations, and people enjoy listening to them. So
1: yeah, we've all got something in common.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Hope you've enjoyed it. We've certainly enjoyed uh, talking with you, bringing it to you, and maybe we'll see you out in the line.